Good morning. It's good to be with you on this Sunday. I'm excited about jumping in to the Word. I'm going to be in Genesis 34. If you want to turn there, I'm Pastor Tony. Welcome to Elevation Church. If you're new, we're so very glad that you're with us. And I would just say that this is a very uncomfortable space this morning. I don't know where we ever got the idea that church should even be comfortable, but that's it's entirely different message for a different day, but, but we're talking about uncomfortable in, in this idea. Because here's, first of all, you got to understand, we love comfort. How many know that? If we're honest, we do, right? I mean, you, you, you like the comforts of, of living uh, in America, the way you live. Anybody with me say yes? Yeah, we, we love it. In fact, we love good treatment. You like to be treated good. Nobody's like, yeah, I'd really like to be treated bad really want the uncomfortable, bad treatment. We, we would prefer good treatment. We prefer to be treated kindly and treated in a way that is um, comfortable. But when we, when we view community and we look at, at interacting with people, well, that can be very uncomfortable. Stepping into a relationship where, where you're going to do life with someone, well, the initiating of that, well, that, that can be very uncomfortable. In fact, let me just go a little further, that doing life together with people can at times be uncomfortable. It just can. Because here's why it can be uncomfortable, because we're there. And if you, went, if you went and hid away somewhere and just kind of hung out by yourself, well, there's, there's, you know, I mean, you probably disagree with yourself sometimes, but I'm just saying that you probably find a little comfort in not, the uncomfortable is inviting people into your life that are different than you, by the way, nobody's exactly like you. Even if you're a twin, the twins tell me that, that their sibling isn't exactly like them, even though we may view them that way. It's uncomfortable when we enter into a relationship. However, as uncomfortable and awkward and maybe we're even in a fearful place, as all those things may be reality, it's a necessity that we're together and not alone in life. If you believe that, say yes. So, so this morning, I'm dealing with... Uh, out of a out of a chapter that doesn't get highlighted as much, and I will talk about why in a few moments. Dealing with the obstacles of community that 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 we, you and I, are called, are purposed to overcome the obstacles of community. The obstacles of community. I love what it says in Psalms one thirty three verse one. It says, "Behold how." good and how pleasant it is for people to dwell together in unity. And if you know, if you know what unity is, well, you're like, it is a beautiful thing. You know, in, in families, you know families are dysfunctional. The, the, the studies have shown that 96%, I think it's like 96.4% of families are dysfunctional. And the rest of them are liars, right? right? Everybody's family's got problems. You may be hiding it, but we know, right? And, so, and sometimes, sometimes something's going on in your family. You're all worried about somebody, what somebody will think. And well, if they told you what they're dealing with, it'd be way over the top beyond maybe what you're dealing with. Because that's just because people are together. But when there's unity, you ever have the, you know, that maybe it's that Christmas morning when everybody's kind of together and all, we kind of put the stuff aside maybe, and you're just kind of there and kind of a unifying moment, if you will, or when trouble strikes. You ever notice when, when the crisis happens, how many times people will 
that, that couldn't get along together at all. Now they've locked arms, and, and we're going we're gonna to do it. We're going you know, to do it for Johnny. We're going to make it happen. Unity is a beautiful thing, and that's what God calls it. God's people are called to unity, not uniformity. We're never going to look like, think alike. Oh, I'm talking about in, to in totality. We're, we're never going to be just alike. We're always going to be different. But the beauty of what God does is he created us all. Somebody shout all. All of us right here in this room in his image. I mean, God is, is, is beautiful when we look at mankind and we see the diversity in mankind and that God created us all in his image. And then what he says is in all of our diversity and our differences come together and be one. Be in unity. Be in unity. I love what it says in Matthew 18, 2. In my background, it was a verse that was used so many times. For where two or three are, um, will gather in my name, there I am, Jesus said, with them. And that's a part of this. When we gather, there's more than two or three of us, but, but we're, we're gathered together today, and Jesus is here. Jesus, the unifier. His prayer in John 17 was that we would be one as he and the Father are one, that, that Jesus is the one, that he's in the midst. Well, he works to bring us together. Works to bring us together. And I think it's so important that, that we understand the beauty of that. Some folks would say, well, maybe you're watching online, and we love you. And some folks would say, well, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. I'm like, yeah, I agree. You're right. You're right. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I'll be honest with you. If you're married, you don't have to go home because you're married. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'll be honest with you, I'll be honest with you, your relationship, if you're married and you never go home, is not going to develop, it's not going to grow, it's not going to be maintained, it's not going to become anything. It's going to be separation and division. And I would say this, that if we think somehow, well, I could be a Christian and just kind of be on my own, over here doing my own thing. No. If you want to develop that relationship and you want to mature, well, you've got to be with people, I love what the KJV says, of like precious faith. That, that we have this common relationship through Jesus, same blood is flowing through our veins, the blood that has cleansed us, and we are one in him. My brother, he's, he's one of my brothers here today, Bill. He's over there. He'd probably like to come up and do this, but I'm going to go ahead and do it myself. But he sent, he sent me something, and I thought, man, this is pretty good. He said the average church time in America, time spent in church, is 90 minutes to two hours per week for a grand total of about four days in attendance for the entire year. Think about that. Right? They're saying, you know, you'll spend... With, with me up here, you're going to spend 90 minutes here today, I'm just going to tell you. Some places you, some places you get an hour, hour and five minutes, but I'm going to keep you 90. I'm sorry. I'm not that good to finish it up that quick. In some places, maybe you go an hour and you go another hour in the week sometime. But, but, but altogether, you need, when you factor it, you're about four days, 48 hours, maybe a little more. And then watch this. The average American spends two hours a day watching Netflix. Now that's 2020, so we'll, we'll give them pandemic and the whole thing. You're locked in your house. You're watching, all right? But, but, but I'm just going to say this, that I don't know what is all on Netflix. But that's a lot of time because 
that ends up being about 600, approximately 600 hours, 25 days a year. Now, I'm just going to tell you this. We are not too busy for church. Are you with me? If you find yourself feeling like you're too busy, well, there's some other stuff that you could cut to make time. Here's why this is important, the gathering. And I read, if you didn't get a chance to be here last Sunday, go back and check the message out. He, Hebrews 10 gives us some, some insight on why it's important to do this. Here's what we know. You can't grow spiritually if you're not connected relationally. You can't grow spiritually if you're not connected relationally. Life change happens in the context of relationships. That when you come along somebody else, your life will be changed simply because somebody's in your life. And, and I like to think about it like this. The, the relationship with God produces the most change. Intimacy with God and then a community of believers. This, this is the community with the insiders. There's people that you should do life with. Again, I said earlier, of like precious faith and influence with outsiders. That, that we should make an influence and an impact on this world. Anybody with me say yes. Jesus said we're going to be salt and light. And I will say this. That intimacy with God, community with insiders, influencing outsiders. Well, if it was easy, everybody would do it. That's what it says on your card. It's uncomfortable at times. One of the ways we help people do it is through groups. We've got a semester that will be starting here in the next week, week or two. Some of them start a little later. But groups are all about coming together in a smaller context. I'll just tell you this. Things, there's different dynamics that happen when you're in a room like this with people and when you're in a group with four or five or six or seven people, and when you're alone, there's different dynamics. There's a different dynamic. If, 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 we, if we rented Lucas Oil today, this morning, and every church in Indianapolis said, hey, we're going to meet together in one place, wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be cool? You pray that that happens someday. It'd be just cool to be in one physical location one day. But every church in Indianapolis was in Lucas Oil. Do you know what? That'd be a different dynamic than here. Are you with me? Yeah. And so, so there's a different dynamic that happens in a group than happens here on Sunday morning. And that's why we promote groups. We tell people, get in groups. It's a semester. It's not until Jesus comes back. It's not till, right? It's just, it's just a semester. Everybody says semester, right? That's easy. Your kids can do a semester. I'm just saying. You could do a semester when you were six years old. Now you're an adult. A semester, once a, once a week. And I, just, I got a few here. Financial peace. University, great opportunity to, maybe you're struggling financially or you feel like, hey, I, I, I'm kind of living week to week on, and, or I'm, I've got more month than I do money. Brandon and, and Katie Fields are leading this group. It's, it's a great one. And there's a, there's a place outside. If you don't know how to go to the app and, and get plugged in and look at the groups, it's easy. If you have the app, if you don't, download the Church Center app. Go to events, and then under events, there's a group, a place where groups are at. I mean, I can do it. I know you can do it. And, and all the groups are there. Take a look at them. Uh, prayer walk. Walk in some of the neighborhoods. Not, not taking gospel tracks. You don't even know what that is probably. But not knocking on doors and beating them down saying, turn or burn, you know, get right or get left. It's not that thing. Right? It's just walking to the neighborhood, praying over, over people in, in those homes. Almost at some level, uh, a little bit um, inconspicuously. Um, and then revival prayer, first service, you can come, 9.30 to 10.30, pray. How many know we're people of revival? Anybody want revival? Say yes. Yeah, and so, so praying, and then you can come to the second, 
Uh, it's just a ton. Discipleship groups. There's even a group of wiffle ball. Wiffle ball and Jesus is what I call it. They're, they're going, it's it's going to have some spiritual aspect, but they're going to play wiffle ball. It's going to be fun. So we're in Genesis 34. There's well over 20 groups you can plug into. If you're online, you can connect to. You can go look at the app. But Genesis 34, it's that chapter that if you were writing a nice book, and you're like, hey, come, come be a part of us. Here's our book. Well, you leave this chapter out. You're like, I don't put this chapter in here. People read this, they're going to think, oh, I don't be a part of that community. There, in fact, let me tell you this. There's several places in Scripture where you think, well, you know, we just leave that out because, like, David and the whole thing with Bathsheba, let's not include that because that didn't sound very good about David the hero. But I love about the Bible that the Bible is transparent, that it's, that it's honest with us about people. Because here's what God knows. He knows that you're people too, that we're imperfect and we're flawed. And there's hope in Scripture. And I think in this one we're going we're to get some lessons. It's, it's a little bit, the, the end of Genesis is a little bit of the, the downward spiral of helping us to see the sons of Jacob, Jacob Israel. It's helping us to see and understand that these, these guys have got some real issues. And it helps us to understand, well, there's a whole reason. It's complex. There's a whole lot of reasons. But that they end up in, in captivity in Egypt because uh, they really need to get turned around to God and what God says and living like the people of God. So pick it up in verse 1. We'll read a few, and then I'll talk, and we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up with the last few verses of that chapter. Now, Dinah, I like that name, don't you? Dinah, the daughter of Leah. Now, that language is a little different. It's not uncommon in Scripture, but usually you don't hear the daughter of, it's the daughter of a man, right? Here's the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and violated her. His soul was strongly attached to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. Change the language now. And he loved the young woman and spoke kindly to the young woman. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Get me this young woman as a wife. Now let's stop right there for a moment. And let, me just, let me just tell you what we read. We just read about, at the, at the opening, at the entrance of this chapter, we read about this horrendous act, this violent thing that's happened to, to seemingly an innocent young lady. Now, some scholars that try to put the blame on her, but that's wrong. I hate it when people try to assume something like this. Here's a young lady who is, who is in a family of boys, Right, Jacob's got 12 sons. There's her mother, Leah, and her, I don't know what you call it in that context, but like stepmom, Rachel, and her. And so they're in, they're in this land. They're living there, and, and it seems like a, a good place, and they've learned a little bit of the customs, and, and the people around them are all pagans. They're, it looks like they're the only people in that land that are worshiping the true God. And so, but they, 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 they feel comfortable, and no doubt she asked her mom and dad, Seems like all scholars would say she's very young. She's not 30. She's not 25. She's very young. But her mom and dad feels comfortable, and they allow her to go. And so she goes. She's just going to be around some other young ladies. She's going to, to, to maybe she's a social butterfly, butterfly. Josephus, the Jewish historian, says that there was a festival going on. She's going to be a part of that, enjoy that. I don't know altogether what it was, but 
um, she, she has to pass through the gate of the city. And so as passing through the gate where the men gather, well, being that many times it's the leaders, the elders of the city, Shechem sees her. And he does later on this chapter, says this, he does to her what ought not be done. Takes advantage of her. Violates her. Rapes her. And it's, and it's, it's this thing that when you read it, you just want to jump out and, and, and protect. And then it says that this gentleman's soul gets attached to Dinah. And he wants her for a wife. Now, I don't know what all is going on in his life. We don't get the picture, and none of it makes it acceptable that he did what he did. But there's something going on in this guy's life that maybe the culture, that's the way they treat women. It wasn't common for Jacob and his family. It wasn't what they embraced. They had a higher regard for women than did this culture because this culture just takes and violates. And so, so Jacob gets wind of this, what's happened to his daughter. And, and like any father, I'm, I'm sure he's very upset, but he holds his peace. Maybe he's, maybe he's got some wisdom and over the years, and now he's a different guy than he was when we read about him when he was in his younger days. But, but now Jacob, he's in a place. He, and, and one of the things the Bible tells us is that his sons, well, they're all out caring for the livestock. Maybe Jacob knows, I can't really say much right now because I don't have anybody with me. Like, like all, of my young, all, all of my young warriors are out and, and I really can't do a whole lot right now. So he waits and they get there and then Hamor, the father, begins to, uh, almost a negotiation. Now Dinah the whole time, well, she's over there somewhere. She's not in, in the talks, but, but they're talking and Hamor and Shechem is, uh, uh, Hamor's there and Shechem, and they're trying to negotiate. Hamor is the father and so. So it is that they talk about how can we make this happen, that he loves her, we'd like to make her his wife, or his, her husband, and how can we do this? And, and the sons are like, well, you know, here's the deal. Because they're, they're thinking bridal price. They're thinking dowry. They're thinking, what do we need to pay? What can we give you in exchange? You know, the whole idea in marriage when they give the hand, like giving their hand in mar marriage, well, it's almost like the price has been paid. Now we can give you the hand. I mean, so this this is the way culture was. And it really, it's not about all that for them. They say this, you're uncircumcised. You're not a part of the covenant. We are people of the covenant. And so the only way that we can become one, the only way that our, our sister could ever come to be with you is if, the, if you're willing to be circumcised. Now, the Bible says this, that while they're talking about this, it says they're talking deceitfully. In other words, these brothers, this is, they're not doing this with integrity. In fact, what they're doing is they're manipulating these people with something that's sacred, which you should never do. They're taking something that's holy and saying, we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to deal treacherously with you as we use this as the tool. And by the way, there's a whole lot of people in the kingdom of God right now that misuse the word, that misuse holy things to manipulate people, and it's a travesty. It's a travesty. 
Don't, don't be deceived into following someone simply because they played on your emotions and made you feel a certain way. Because that's what they're doing right here. They're saying, if you'll do this, then we can be one. And, and, let, and, and they go on in details about what that's going to look like. And so they agree to it. They say, okay. In fact, the condition is that all of the males are going to be circumcised in the whole town. And so they go back, and you kind of see the heart of Hamor and Shechem. They go back, and they're, they're there at the city gates, and they're talking to them about, about what, what's going to happen. They say it like this. Hey, guys, we can get their land and their livestock and take their daughters to be wives if you just get circumcised. Well, they cast the vision for it. They sell them a bill of goods. And the guys say, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. So they proceed with it. And remember, there's some deceitfulness in this, and, and it happens in verse 25. You see this play out. It said, now it came to pass on the third day. Everybody say the third day. Yeah. When they were in pain, and remember, every male has been circumcised in the town, that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came boldly upon the city and killed all the males. And they killed Hamor and Shechem his son with the edge of the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went out. And the sons of Jacob came upon the slain and they plundered the city because their sister had been defiled. They took their sheep, their oxen, their donkeys, what was in the city and what was in the field. They took it all. All their wealth, all their little ones, their wives, they took captive, and they plundered even all that was in the houses. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And since I am few in number, they will gather themselves together against me and kill me. I shall be destroyed, my household and I. But they said, and this resonates when we hear this, but they said, should he treat our sister like a harlot? I'm telling you, this chapter in Scripture, it gets you up here and here, spins you around a little bit. You're wondering what's right. Where do I land on this? Was their action right? It's wrong what they did. But when they were deceitful, what was going on? There's a whole lot of emotion that you can even throw into this. When you read, I encourage you to read chapter 34 this week. I didn't read it all. But, but I would say this that uh, I, I, would, I would say this, this chapter is more about the rape of the city than it is about the rape of Dinah. It's more about how we react to what happens than what happens. I would just tell you, in life, your reaction many times carries more weight than the thing that happened to you. And let me help you. Every one of us seated in here this morning have had stuff happen to us. I, I, I look at this and I, I think that, that this vicious act that happens to Dinah, so sad, so unwarranted. I mean, if the guy loved her, well, they could have negotiated without this happening if he really loved her. This vicious act. Here's what happens in life one time or another when you're a child, most likely. Well, something happens and you realize that the world's not all peaches and cream and Unicorns and rainbows, right? Something happens and, and innocence is removed, whether it's something that happened to you, something that you viewed, 
something that you maybe 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 some some other kids said stuff about you or made fun of you or hurt you whatever there's 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 an opportunity as young people in our world because we live in a flawed a sinful world we live in a world where people are imperfect that something happens and and it's vicious because it takes it rips away the innocence of a young child i mean when a baby's born it's innocent as it grows up. I mean, I, I've had the advantage to watch grandchildren just grow and develop, and they're just innocent. And, you, and, and, you, and, and by the way, parents, you just want to shelter that innocence as long as you can. Any parents know what I'm talking about? Somebody said, well, I feel like you're shelter, sheltering too much. Okay, we'll keep on doing it. Right? They're my kids. Anybody with me? You, you let your own kids get out there and get hurt. I'm going to do as much as I can. Now, we're in a real world. Right? And that happens. That happens. And I think it happens sometimes with actions, as we see here, sometimes with words. Sometimes with words. I love what it says in Matthew 7, verse 12. It says, therefore, whatever you want men to do, people to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and prophets. Let me stop there. This isn't used for a whole lot of when you, when you read, this is the law and prophets, that's not used for every little thing that you read. Every verse that you read, you don't see that. Matthew 22, 37, through about 40, well, you read it when, when Jesus said, what's the greatest commandment? Love, love God with all your being. Love your neighbor. Love people as yourself. Well, they said this, all the law and prophets hang on this. Well, when, when Jesus is speaking here, he said this, that, that if you want people to treat you a certain way, well, you should treat them the way that you want to be treated. This is the law and prophets summed up here, the idea is that, that, and I'm talking about the, the obstacle of trying to have community, and there is one, it's that people can be vicious. I won't tell you the truth. Hear me well. There's some vicious people in the world, but there are also some mean people that are under the auspices of church people. Sometimes I could say this, some of the meanest people I ever met, I met in church. Some of the best people I met, I met in church. I'm just going to say. Now, God never called us to be vicious. He's not called us to have a vicious response or, or make vicious acts. That's, that's not what we're, what we're purposed to do. Now, the world may do that, but it should never happen to be spoken of among the saints of God. Vicious. Now, I think rape here, well, that's an extreme act of viciousness. I'm, I'm talking about the idea that, that there's things that you can say that are violent. There's actions that you can take that are vicious. And we've got to overcome that. But understanding this, I've got to put my, myself in someone else's shoes. If, you know, and, and, and this happens. You go, you go to some place. It could be a restaurant. It could be an apartment store. It could be, it could be the BMV. And you get there in front of the person, and they're just as mean. You ever had that mean BMV person? They're just mean. I'm like, how's your day? They don't even look up at me. They're just punching their stuff. I Sometimes I tell them, hey, while you're here, I'm here today, I'm going to talk to you. I just want to let them know. I'm going to talk. We're going to have a conversation. <laughs> We're people. We're sitting this close to each other across, you know, there's a window between us, but, 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 like, we're going to do this. I don't know how you feel about it. We're going to talk. At least I'm going to talk. One of us is going to talk. You may grunt. You may not look up at me, but I'm going to talk. 
But now here's the thing. You're standing in that line in, 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 in Walmart, and you get up there, and the person has just had every just toxic thing and word vomited on them by people in front of you. People, that you, they've been there long before. They've been there, they've been there for seven hours, and now you come up there, and they're not very friendly to you, or they don't, they don't say the right thing, or maybe they're short with you. Shouldn't be, but maybe they are. The world, now they respond to that. They react to it, at least. But for you and I, well, we're not the world. And I think it's high time that we just say, Jesus' followers shouldn't act like the world. Is that okay? Like, like we shouldn't be just like the world and do the same things the world, say the same things the world, and do all the places the world does, and, and, and act like the world. We should be different. But we're in that line. We got our stuff. We've waited. It seems like we've been there for eternity. Now here we are, and the person is unfriendly, kind of curt to us. So you know what? You're not going to do me that way. No, not the people of God. Here's what Jesus says. This is the law and prophets. Put yourself in their shoes. How would you want to be treated after you've been, after you've been harassed and, and beat up all day? How would you want to be treated? How would, how would you feel to be in their shoes? This is your opportunity, Jesus follower, to shine. I love what it says in Philippians 2.4. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Because we do pretty good looking out for our stuff how we want to be treated, how we feel. But, but what if you shift that a little bit in following Jesus and say, how can I look out for someone else's interest in this, in this world that I'm in? I think so many times we, we develop kind of a persona that doesn't look like Jesus. And this morning when it comes to community and overcoming this obstacle of not acting in a vicious way, I'm saying this, we've got to say, Jesus, I want to look like you. I think dogs represent a good picture of people. Maybe cats sometimes, but, but dogs do for sure. I like to watch chihuahuas. I don't like chihuahuas, I don't guess. Because chihuahuas, got the, they got this thing about them. And I'm not going to try to stereotype them. But I'm almost true in every case. They got this thing about them that when, you, when they see you, they just go ballistic like, and they like charge at you like they're really going to do something. And if they were a big dog, I mean, we couldn't have them. They'd just, right? But they come, and all you've got to do is like do a little like that. And like, they just run backwards almost, you know. Like there's a lot of people like that. That 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 in their approach they just seem vicious, like rah, 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 rah. you're like, whoa, whoa. I mean, I've I've watched church church people act this way. That that the initial and, and they wonder why they're not having friends. Well, like, chill out a little bit. Chill out. You may, feel, you may feel less than, because we're in a world of comparison. It's a dangerous slope. You may feel less than. I think that's some of what the Chihuahua's do, dealing with. I mean, we got some dogs in my neighborhood. We walk by the fence. 
My wife and I will walk sometimes, and I think they're Pomeranians, but they're like, they're like a hairy version of Chihuahua. Little white dogs. They're kind of, they're kind of, kind of nice-looking little dogs, and they come out every time. And there's a fence, which is good. They come out. We just walk on. I mean, I don't do anything to them. I just walk on. But I'm just saying this. Sometimes people act that way. And what? And this is a, this is a moment of evaluation. Ask yourself: Do I come across in a Chihuahua kind of attitude? Am I barking at people, and people just back up from me because they just don't want to fool with me? Because to be honest with you, I just don't want to fool with the Chihuahua. I'll just walk on. I'm not going to try to pet it. I'm not going to try to try to get it to come to me. I'm like, I'm just going to move on. Now, I would say this, the Chihuahua people in life, you've got to pray that God will help you know how to reach out to them, but don't be a Chihuahua. When I was in high school, I worked for a veterinarian in, for a couple of years, and uh, one of the roles I had, I mean, there's several, but one of them was that when he was taking appointments, I would go in the examining room with him, and what my role was is to, to hold the dogs. This probably will help you to understand my cat problem, but, but, to hold, but, but to hold them while they were going to treat them. And sometimes you could put your hand on their back, depending on the kind of dog it was. Sometimes you could just kind of pet it here. Sometimes you had to get it in a hold, and, and like I'm, I'm on the examining table with it, holding it while he's doing what he's doing to it. And I remember, like it was yesterday, I'm, I'm in the room getting ready to greet the people that are coming in, and I heard some growling out in the, out in the waiting room, and so they're bringing the dog in. And it's this, I mean, the guys that have it, their hands are covered in grease, and they got grease on their face and just kind of rough looking. And they got this big, huge uh, dog. And it's, 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 you could just see it's, it's like it's this, the canine, the teeth, you know, just. And they got a chain on it, not a, not a dog chain, but like a big, like, like a chain you would pull a car with, holding it. And I got to, I got to take authority over this and take care of it. And I'm like 16, and I'm thinking, man, I don't want to do this. I'm thinking about what, what I need to do, and all of a sudden the vet, he, because they're the first ones, he walks in the room. He's, I don't know, 30 years older than me at the time. Seemed like he was 95. He's probably 60. You know how it is when you're young. And he comes in there, and he goes, get that dog out of here. He tells the people, get it out of here. It's a travesty what you've done to this animal to make it this way. It was a junkyard dog. Literally, it was the dog at the junkyard that they were bringing to get the rabies shots because they had to. And he's like, get it out of here. He said, you call my office. We'll make an appointment. We'll sedate that and care for it. But it's horrible what you've done. Get that dog out. And all these other people are like watching him. And everybody's glad, like, yay. I was. I was like, Hallelujah. Because I knew that dog's used to chewing on car bumpers or something. It wasn't, I was not any match for it. But it was a junkyard dog. You could tell it was mean. It was evil. It was, one, you know, whatever happened in his life, whatever the past, it got it to this place that it was unapproachable. You didn't want to mess with this dog. Well, I'll tell you, there's people like that too. They're not just barking a bunch of stuff. They just had whatever happened to them in their life and now they are just uh, in, in a place where they're unapproachable. Now, if you're here today, 
You probably don't identify with that. Maybe you do. If you do, you need to let Jesus help you. You need to let the Holy Spirit sedate you so he can come and work in your life and, 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 and do something that's new and marvelous. But I would say this. There's people in your life you're going to run into, and it always starts with prayer, right? You don't give them. See, here's what I'm thinking. Okay, I'm going to have to wrestle this dog really hard and almost fight it so that we can treat it. That's what I'm not 16-year-old mind. I'm thinking that wasn't the right approach. There's people in your life, might even be in your family. And when they come at you, it's just, it's going to be a scene. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. It may even seem impossible. And I just say this, you need to step back. Don't endanger yourself and pray. Everybody say pray. And then, there, then there's these dogs that are kind of territorial. When that German shepherd, he was like, yeah. I mean, you come to our house, the way you enter the house is important. You don't want to just walk in there by yourself. You don't walk in our yard by yourself. Like, he's friendly as can be. He can be he can have, you can have a lot of fun with him. In fact, he kind of felt like we're his, we're his pack. He didn't know any different. I guess he just thought we looked alike. I don't know. But, but he just felt. So, so if, you, if I was walking him and somebody, people would approach me, can I pet your dog? I'm like, this is a 100-pound German Shepherd. Why do you ask me if you pet my dog? I say, probably not. Because when you come up to me, he may growl at you. I, I don't know how I explain to him all the time what he needs to do. Most of the time, he's good, but there's people like that, territorial. Now, Jesus followers shouldn't be this way, but they get their own thing. They get their own area of ministry. They get their own thoughts about what things should be. And if you, if you try to approach that, well, it becomes really hard and almost dangerous. And I'm saying this, that as Jesus followers, it's all his territory. It's not my territory. It never was. never will be. It's all his right? Everything, everything that I am, that I can be, it's all Jesus. And you got to let, you got to release that and not allow that because when it comes to community, that's a huge obstacle. If, if it's all about you and your territory and people invading your space. And the last one I'll, I'll mention is, is the fear biter. Fear biter is that dog that when you approach it, and people say this, people who don't know what they're talking about say this, they say, he's wagging his tail. I don't care. He could still bite you. Right? When you, when you initiate and you move toward a dog and it's like wagging his tail, well, a fear biter, it wants to be your friend. It, it, wants, to, it wants to engage with you in, in play or whatever you're going to do or, or, or just the, the, the nice pets that you'll do on top of its head. It wants to, but it's afraid of you. And when you get close, it's all like, and then you get close and you make a move, boom. It's got you. See how that works? That's the way it does. You didn't expect it. Here it comes. And because out of fear, it bites. Not, not because it doesn't want you in its life. It's afraid of you. I want to tell you that there's people in your life, they're just simply afraid of community. And what you notice is you'll try to engage in community. You'll try to engage in conversation and in relationship. And their initial response is, is it looks friendly. And then all of a sudden they say something and it's like, off the wall. You ever been with that person that's kind of awkward and they don't know what to say and they, they say something? Like, I, I'll show you one. Like, I'll meet somebody sometimes for the first time and they'll hear me say stuff about my, my hair or lack thereof and they'll have their favorite, they'll have the bald joke of all time and they won't tell me. I'm like, you fear, you fear biter. <laughs> if you've done that, I'm playing, but I'm kind of playing. But I'm saying, they think that's the good thing to say. 
Somebody looks at you and they say something and it's kind of crass or harsh or, or um, being funny about you. Let me tell you something. The way to do this, say something funny about yourself. But you want to you, you say something funny, flip it around. Because here's the deal. When it comes to fear and feelings of awkwardness and, and feelings of, of distrust, there are no good or bad emotions. Emotions aren't good and bad. You get anger, you can be angry for a reason. And you can't be angry forever about the same thing. The Bible says, says, says be angry and sin not. You can't sin because you're angry. But you can be angry, and that's not a bad emotion. It's not, it's not a good or bad emotion. Sadness, happiness, all those things that we experience, they're not good or bad. But there are good and bad ways of expressing them. Are you hearing me this morning? So when it comes to community, right, we can have a lot of emotions, maybe because of what's happened to us, maybe because of what we've experienced, maybe because of what we've been through, what we've dealt with because of what somebody else did, because of how somebody else treated us. And then what we do is we approach that relationship with those same emotions. You've got to let yourself have a, have a checkup in the emotions and how they are leading you. By the way, don't let your emotions lead, right? Lead with actions. Emotions will follow. They'll follow. Learning how to express emotions in healthy ways is vital, and it takes constant practice. So you can't go out of this morning and say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my emotions all in order. It's going to take work. If your response has always been, when this happens, you get sad, wait a minute, how am I going to change that? How am I going to change that? If, if your response is when, when somebody says this, you get upset. I remember there was, a, there was a guy when I was a youth pastor. There was a guy in the youth group, and one day somebody said something about Barney Fife. Man, he just went, he went, he went ballistic. Like, like something just, a, a switch just flipped and he went berserk. Well, what the person that said that to him didn't know that all his going, everybody know who Barney Fife is? You can Google it later. But what, what the thing is, they didn't know that his growing up years, other kids made fun of him but called him Barney Fife. And why he didn't understand is, he's a teenager, what he didn't understand is, I need to let that go. I don't let that emotion be attached to this. I, don't, I, need, I need to disconnect the two because somebody else did that and had bad intention doesn't mean this person that just said it had bad intentions or that it mean, means the same thing. Proverbs eleven seventeen, the Living Bible says, your own soul is nourished when you are kind. It is destroyed when you are cruel. Your soul. Your mind, your will, your emotions, they get all messed up when, when you're vicious to other people. And so the word says this, kindness is the fear of the day. Proverbs 14, or 15, 4, in the Message Bible says, kind words heal and help, cutting words wound and maim. Proverbs 16, 24, kind words are like honey. They are sweet to the spirit and bring healing to the body. I like what Dr. Caroline, Caroline Leaf said. She said, before you say anything, ask yourself. Here's some filters that will help you with your emotions. Does, number one, does this need to be said? Does this need to be said? Do I really need to say this? Now, now to, to ask yourself that question mean, means that you've got to stop before you react. Two, does this need to be said by me? 
Am I the one that needs, you know what, this might be something for somebody else to say. Am I in the position? I see people sometimes, they'll pick on different, you know, high-level ministries or or, uh, pastors or speakers, and they'll come out and say, I'll see them on Facebook, put all this stuff, and I'm like, I'm like, dude, that's what I say. Dude, like, you're not in a place to give them this personally, so you ought to shut up and not be saying it. That's not hard. You know, you may think Joel Osteen's, you know, cotton candy Joe, and he's got Joel, and he's got all this weakness. Well, if you're not in a position to help him, just let him alone. Just let him alone, right? Or, you know, whoever it is. I used his name. It could be Pope Francis, you know. I, I don't get on Facebook and just say all the things I disagree with Pope Francis about. I'm not in a position to speak into his life. Does it need to be said by me? Here you go, number three. Does this need to be said by me now? The timing factor is a big deal, by the way. The timing factor is a big deal. It's like the lady, I'm going to pastor in the church before here. I'm getting ready to, to step up. I'm going to open the service. Hey, welcome to da-da-da. And the, the lady came to me as I'm getting ready to step up, and she said, hey, pastor, so I want you to know the lady's restroom is out of toilet paper. Like, I never go in there. And I'm just going to tell you, I'm probably not the person to say it to. And this isn't good timing. I don't know if I need to go up here and say, hey, by the way, before we get started, somebody needs to go back to the women's restroom, take care of that problem. Right? I don't know what they were thinking. But as silly as that sounds, you may catch yourself in the same role saying something to somebody that makes no sense at all for you to say it to them at all, but let alone at the time you're saying it. Number four, will I regret not saying this? Will I, that's a good filter right there. Will I regret saying it or will I regret not saying it? There's a filter. filter. Now, here's what it says. They talk deceitfully. There's, there's conversation. There's words being said, but they're deceitful words. And, 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 and they're talking like, hey, we'll do this, and you guys do that, and then we'll be all one land, and, and you know, like everything's gonna be cool. No, they're they're lying. In fact, it's 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 the emptiness in their words. Their words are void. There's nothing about them that 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 has any substance. I love what it says in Psalms 19:14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Jesus looked at people and said, "They say and do not." That, that these people act like they're, they're, they're near me, but their hearts are far from me. I don't eat donuts hardly ever. I really can't remember the last time I had one. I don't, I don't not eat donuts because I don't like them. I'm kind of a donut connoisseur. I've had enough donuts in my life to last me for the rest of my life already. I like, in fact, I like it when you get the box of the donuts and it's got all the different flavors in there. You know, like, not just all glazed. I mean, that's okay. But I like it when it's got, like, well, a few glazed in there and then some of those chocolate ones that have the icing on, you know, the ones that, and you could have cake donuts, but you don't have to, but, but, but some of those. And then, now the blueberry cake, that's a different thing. And then the Bismarck's and the, and the, and the Bavarian cream-filled donuts, 
right? You, you can even get some that's got lemon and all kind. You know, you get the, the alligator things and the bear claws. They're not really donuts, but they put them in the box sometimes. I'm like, okay, put them in there. It's fine. But there's one that is the premium of all donuts that takes precedent over every other donut in the place. It's the jelly-filled donut. Because the jelly-filled donut has all the sugar that is bad for you like all the other donuts, and it has the, the grease-fried dough that is bad for you too. And even they, they put some icing on top just because there's not enough sugar already in it. We'll add some icing on top. has nothing to do with the jelly. has nothing to do with necessarily the donut. We just put it on there. Somebody in the donut inventing and innovation said they should put glazed stuff, icing on the top of it. And then in the center of it, most of the time it seems like it's raspberry. Somehow, I don't know how they do it, but somehow they've got jelly in the donut. And so when you get the jelly-filled donut and you put it to your mouth and you take a bite, it's like, oh, there's that sweet surprise inside. You get a little bit on your, you know, like you pull it away and there's a little still, you're having this number to try to, try to get it off. And, and, and then the other thing that always happens is you get a little bit on, the, on you as it falls, as you pull it from your mouth, because it's just got a bunch of it in there. Now, when you go to pick the jelly-filled donut, I'm just going to give you a little, little I'm going to help you. By the way, if you see donuts, run the other way. I'm just saying. One of our, our group that we did at 6 in the morning at the barber shop, real men, real early, something else. I don't know what it was. It's like 5 in the morning. I'm heading there. What was it? Real talk. There we go. And, 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 and I get the message, can you stop by Long's and pick up donuts? I'm like, you know what this is? This is, this is like the recovering crack addict going back to the crack house. I mean, like, I'm going to walk back in there. But I did, and I bought the donuts, and I said, you know, here you go. Participate in all your sending. Here's the donuts. But, but when you go to pick the jelly-filled donut, you, you don't know because most of the time there's a little hole, but there's no, the, the, the rest, you're just picking it, and you're, like, hopeful that it's, as good as you think it's going to be. But now I remember one time in years past, I picked one of these, and I got it, and I'm all ready to sink my teeth in to the jelly that's in the center. And when I bit into it, nothing. My expectation was here. What I experienced was here. I'm I mean, I'm just telling you, it was just a bunch of dough. It was like, the, the, the donut hole had not been ripped out of the donut, and you just bit into it, and it just it was dry feeling, like it just didn't. And what happened was somebody, I don't know who they were, I don't know what their penalty is, but somebody, when the donut's coming along to the injection site of the jelly, they failed to inject the jelly-filled donut with jelly. And what they presented to me was a jelly-filled donut with no jelly. And it was not filled with integrity. It was a lie. Now, I just want to tell you, that's exactly what these people have done. They said, yes, we're going to do this, and you do that, and we'll be one, and we'll share our daughters, and we'll share our land, and we'll have all this great time, and we'll be one. And they lied. Every word of it was just lie after lie after lie. 
They misrepresented what was happening. The Doobie Brothers said this, you're telling me the things you're going to do for me. I ain't blind, and I don't like what I think I see. That's what's happening. They're being fed a, 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 just this whole bill of goods. It, it's not accurate. It's not authentic. It's not real. I'm just going to tell you this, that you can be that person if you want, where you talk a lot, where your yes is no instead of your yes being yes and your no being no where your actions don't match your words. The Bible says this in Proverbs 19 and verse 1, better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. It means this, it would be better for you to, to have, have lost a little bit and have integrity than to have crooked speech. And there's all kinds of ways it can be crooked, by the way. You can only be straight one way. You can be crooked a thousand million different ways because it's foolish. It's foolish. And lastly, uh, you see this assault of the weak in Dinah, and then you see uh, these men that are killed. I, I, I want to just spend a few moments um, talking about because many times in life, evil actions result in evil reactions and even more evil plans. Because you know how when you're wronged, what you do, here's what the enemy does. You're wronged, and then you think about it. You think about what was done to you, what was done to somebody that was near you, or what appeared to be done to you, and then you start fabricating with the help of the enemy and devising how you're going to react to this. It's, it's a vengeful response and it's easy to get focused on what we're dealing with. And I think in this chapter, well, here's the vengeful response, much bigger than what happened. Is it, is it right that what happened to Dinah? Not at all. Should there have been some response to that? Certainly. Will the response to that ever change what has happened? No. Which is sad. There's some things in life, this is why Jesus followers can't live a vicious life is because some things that are done, even though there may be some semblance of justice, you can't reverse what's happened. And that's what's happening here. It's, it's irreversible, and something should be done. But here's the thing. Not every man in the town shouldn't die for the sin of one. This, this is the opposite of what Jesus did. Jesus died for everyone. Everyone's dying for the sin of one in this picture. And, and, and here, here Hamor and Shechem, well, their lives are taken, but every other person, and not only that, they now have kidnapped and taken away every woman and every child. Now, here's the, here's the penalty that they, that they inflicted upon people. They said that because one man did this, every one of you are going to die, and wives are going to lose husbands, and children are going to lose fathers simply because of that one act. How many know that that, that, that was an over-assertion of what justice would have looked like? It's unjust what they did. And then they take all of the livestock and all the stuff, all the wealth. They kidnap, they rob, they massacre, plunder, 
simply because of what's happened. They get so focused, and this is the danger, get so focused on what's happened to them that they can't see forward. If you came to church this morning and you drove here and you drove just looking through your rearview mirror to get here, I'm just going to tell you, you're here, you didn't do that. The people that didn't make it, maybe they did that because you wouldn't make it here driving through your rearview mirror. Are you with me? You've got you to get focused on the big picture that's in front of you. The horizon in front of you is much greater than the small window to, to look back at your past. And, and, I, and I would say this, that, that it's so important that you understand that if you keep doing what you've always done, your future will continue to look like your past. Your past, something happened wrong, but you can't have the losses of your past be, be the, the guide for your future. Your losses can't be your bosses. It's time for change. It's time to step out beyond that and realize that there's a future. Romans 12, 9 through 21. We'll read these verses very quickly. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, uh, uh, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those, here we go, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay, here we go again, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy, everybody say your enemy, your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. That's a good line right there. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What's our response? Our response is this, that we be honest about our motives. Make sure that our desire is what pleases God, not to get revenge, but to get forgiveness and to give forgiveness. You could read on past this, and you see Joseph. Joseph gave forgiveness when he could, have, he could have executed revenge. Secondly, be humble in your attitude. Revenge is all about pride. It really is. It's, it's about the idea that I've been done wrong. You shouldn't have done me wrong, so now I'm going to step up and do you wrong. I'm not going to get mad. I'm going to get even. Pride will ruin you and ruin the people around you. The Bible says his pride comes before the fall. Right? Your revenge will be destructive to you and, to the, and, and many others in your life. And the issue is not earning forgiveness, but working toward true reconciliation. And that demands humility. There's a song. Maybe you know it. It's by Naomi Rain. And it says this. I'm not going to give you all the lyrics, but some of them. It's a paper plate song. Paper plate song. That didn't mean anything to you at all, except this. As I read this. So if it's not convenient, if it's just going to rain on my parade, if it adds more work to what I've made, then I'd rather just eat all my meals on a paper plate. You, you say I don't care how you feel. I say your feelings are real, but I can't. Can't find the space to squeeze them in too much in my head now. 
So if it's not relevant, if it's just going to get me to think too hard, if you're trying to make me put down my guard, then I'd rather just eat all alone on my paper plate. Throw it away. Oh, I never knew. No, I never knew why. I've always been so drawn to plastic. I've been so uncomfortable working with what's in these cabinets. Oh, I know I've got everything I need, but it's easy to throw cares away. No, I never knew. No, I never knew why. I've always preferred paper plates. I avoid the grit of life, the responsibility and fight. And my garbage pile's so high. Oh, no, I can't hide from my feelings. Got to learn to deal with the rainy days if I don't work and I don't get paid. So I'm trying to handle my heart in a healthy way. Here's the story. Give me one of those plates real quick. Thank you. In fact, go ahead and you can set them out here. We're going to do something here in a moment. Thank you. So, so here's the deal. She's singing a song, and she's eating all alone on her paper plate. The china, the good china, the nice stuff, well, it's in the cabinets. And to get in the cabinets, well, there's a bunch of stuff you got to go through. There's stuff that's been st stored away in there. There's stuff that's been there for years. Some of you got that right now in your life. But I want to tell you, it's a big difference eating on china than it is eating on a cheap paper plate. Anybody know what I'm talking about? All alone, because you don't want to go through the trouble of it. Now, the china's fragile. It's delicate, but it's beautiful. It's not, it's not like this ugly paper plate. Community, well, it's beautiful. It's lovely. It's fragile. It is. But because it's all those things and because there's a there's there's some some baggage because you know china didn't come wrapped stacked in covered in cheap clear plastic wrap it comes treated with a lot of value because community is valuable but we could settle we could settle for i'm not going to fool with all that i'm not going to do community you don't know what happened to me, Pastor. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know what I experienced. You don't know what it looked like on the day that that, that that happened to me. It's painful. I don't know if I can trust anybody else. And I hear what you're saying, and I don't discount what's happened to you. I'm just saying, doing this isn't any comparison to the community that God has for you. The china, the fancy stuff that he has. It won't come alone. It'll come with people in your life. And so my challenge this morning is maybe you've been in a situation in life where you just have been hurt. And maybe it's still there and it stings. Even as I didn't name it, I don't know what it is, but it stings when I talk about what I'm talking about. And I'm saying today, you got to make today the day that you draw the, the line in the sand or that you rip the paper plate and walk away from it. Just drop it and say, I'm done with that. I'm going to do what I need to do to get community in my life. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to have the China experience. Maybe you're here and you say, Pastor, I think I've got over it, but there's still a lingering residue of the hurt that I experienced. I'm saying today, a physical act, I'm going to have you come up in a moment. We're going to rip some plates. We're moving on beyond the paper plates. It's saying, I'm not going to live here. I'm not going to dwell in this. I'm moving on. Maybe it is this. 
maybe it's just you're in a place and you want community. But every time you feel like that you're going to step into relationship or you're going to experience people in your life, something happens and it doesn't work out. You feel all alone. And loneliness isn't a good feeling. And you weren't designed for that. And God's gone. If you didn't listen to last week's message, go find it on YouTube at Elevation Indy or, or on the, the Elevation podcast. I'm just saying this. There is. There is a God that's at work connecting you with people. And you might miss it. And maybe today it's just the fact that you say, I'm done with this. I'm going to experience community.